The first time I tried to juggle, not the cool soccer juggling, by the way, the clown kind, I couldn't make it past two tosses. My hand-eye coordination just wasn't there. I would toss, toss, and as I got to the third toss, the first would hit the ground. Meanwhile, my friend Ernesto was already doing tricks, tossing behind the back, doing spins in between tosses, you know, impressing the ladies. And looking back, it makes no sense why I wanted to be good at juggling, but I did. I ached to be able to do the spins, the behind the back tosses, the impressive handwork that my friend was already doing. So I practiced. I practiced incessantly. At home, I spent hours working on my skills every night, crafting routines set to the face-melting guitar solos of the Mars Volta, which, in hindsight, probably confused my parents and annoyed my sisters. But in my head, I was Freddie Prince Jr. and juggling was my hacky sack. And the thing is, I got good. Within weeks, I had the fancy handwork, the spins, and the behind-the-back tosses down. I was a machine and I could not be stopped. I would not be stopped. I would impress Ernesto, my friends, my family. Heck, I would impress the whole school with this juggling. And at this point, I'm sure you're saying, wait, what? You're talking about juggling, calmate, way. But this story isn't about juggling. It's about mindset. See, I grew up in the much blind millennial generation. You know, participation trophies, the you can do anything slash be anything when you grow up. And I'll admit it, I have a lot of trophies. But I also believe the hype, kind of. You see, growing up, I always told myself that I could learn how to do anything. I've since learned this is called an empowering belief and that that has influenced every aspect of my life. I learned how to juggle because I believed I could learn how to juggle. And while this is such a small, insignificant skill to acquire in the grand scheme of things, it's the same reason I do what I do today. I believed I could learn how to make videos and I make videos. I believe that I could learn how to tell stories, and I tell stories. I believe that I could learn how to make this podcast, and what are you listening to right now? This belief is the third most important truth that I hold. The second is that my wife is the most amazing person in the world, and the first, man, the first is a game changer. I'm not sure you're ready for it, but you need to hear it. Jesus loves me. All of this is just a roundabout way to say, get your mind right. Because when it comes to your internal dialogue, you already believe the hype. Welcome back to Protagonists of Change. I'm Darnell Miller, your host, and this is season two. That's right, we're back with eight great episodes filled with stories of courage, hope, and grace. Today, we're talking about internal dialogue. You know, the way you talk to yourself when no one else is listening. We're kicking off this episode with Leah Darrow, a mother, speaker, author, coach, and entrepreneur whose aversion to the Catholic faith has afforded her the opportunity to share Christ's love and mercy with others. This is not a story of her reversion though. This is a story about the internal work, the human development that she needed to do, the challenge of limiting beliefs she held about herself. Then, in Who's That Saint? We explore the life of Blessed Solanus Casey, a Capuchin priest who lived a life of heroic virtue, serving the poor and the sick, and whose legacy still touches lives in Detroit today. Now let's jump into this episode. Take it away, Leah.
I realized something was missing in our church, probably after my Sikh talk that I gave in 2013. I gave my keynote, and after that, I stood in a place and one of the focus, you know, helpers uh, said, hey, could would you stay here so that people can come and talk to you after your after your presentation? I said, of course. And I stood in this one location for six hours straight with a line of people snaking around, you know, hallways and buildings. And trust me, I don't say that to impress you. I say that to impress upon you that what they were talking about and the questions they were asking is why I've created this human formation program in Power Made Perfect. Because the questions they were asking me were like, um, how do I forgive myself? Uh, how can I believe that there's hope for my life? Do you think God really wants me to fulfill my dreams? Or are these silly? Uh, do, is, is there really any hope to live life anymore? There's some very deep and, and uh, despairing questions there. And these questions were not about spiritual formation. They were about human formation. These questions are nearly universal questions, especially at an age that is filled with so much doubt and uncertainty. And these are questions that Leah had to answer herself as she gave up a life in the world. Life as a model, a life that by all measure should have been perfect a life she willingly gave up to pursue Christ again. I've been in those dark places. I've dealt with suicide ideation. Um, I've attempted that in my life and praise God I failed. And I'm here breathing and living because God's grace is and his hope is greater than my limiting beliefs. This phrase, limiting belief, is one that's going to pop up pretty regularly. So let's take a moment to define it. A limiting belief is a state of mind or belief that restricts you in some way. There are often false accusations you make about yourself that can cause any number of negative results. Leah has a great example of how it works. It's like a ship that's out to sea and it throws its anchor down into the bottom of the ocean and then it tries to move again. And you can move in a couple different directions. You can go around in a circle, but you're not going to go very far. That's what happens when you live your life with limiting beliefs. Yes, you're there, you're out in the ocean, you're trying to move, but you can only go so far because those limiting beliefs pull you back in and say, no, 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 we can't go that far. We can't do all those things. We're not good enough for that. We're not smart enough for that. We don't know how to do that. Your world closes in on you when you operate from limiting beliefs. For Leah, it was a set of limiting beliefs learned at an early age that will draw her away from her faith and from Christ's love. So I was in the first grade and I had Sister Ruth Ann as my teacher. And uh, she was a pretty, pretty tough gal. <laughs> and I had a stutter, a very severe stutter, actually. And so during a couple lessons, spelling and phonics in particular, where you would have to, you know, do reading aloud, I would get nervous. Um, speaking in front of the class. And so my stutter would even be more intense. And it was very difficult for me to get out words. She was not very patient. And so to keep the class moving, 
She put me in the corner with a box of pencils and made me sharpen all of them while everybody else got to participate in class. And she told me that because of my stutter and because I wasn't able to speak clearly and quickly, then I was not able to participate. So this experience created a limiting belief and those limiting beliefs, it wasn't just one, was I'm not smart, I'm stupid, don't talk, don't voice your opinion, your opinion does not matter, your voice doesn't matter, stay in the background, let everyone else do the work. And that was, those were limiting beliefs that I held on to throughout all of grade school because of course my stutter reinforced it. So I have this extra external thing. And when I do stutter, it reminded me right back to that first grade moment of like, you see, you can't even get the words out. Everybody's waiting on you. You're not smart enough to get over this. And it just reinforced all of these limiting beliefs. And it really, really pushed me into a place where I began to just shrink. I just began to shrink throughout all of grade school. I would shrink in high school because I was so scared that if I if I spoke up and if I said something and then there was my stutter, you know, as people got older, as we all as kids got older and I was in, you know, junior high and high school, people would just laugh then at me. And so it just reinforced all these things over and over and over. After high school, I realized I have to forge a new path. Like this, this is not true. This was, this limiting belief was formed based on the wounds of another person and her inability to show patience and kindness to a student. And that's not my fault. I'm not at fault for how she treated me. That's not my fault. Those words mark the beginning of change, the beginning of a journey that will eventually lead to forgiveness of self and others. But as Leah knows, it's not enough to acknowledge that your limiting beliefs are wrong. You need to replace them with something new. One particular experience I had that really helped solidify an empowering belief that led to more empowering beliefs was, <laughs> was actually my very first date with my husband. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, let me tell you something, Ricky. Oh. I didn't know all the great qualities of Ricky in the very beginning. That's why you date and you learn them. But what I knew about Ricky was his great character, his integrity, and of course, his great looks. <laughs> I just thought that he was so good looking. And it, I know this sounds silly, but like there's this part that kind of like this crazy little limiting belief that was just like, I don't know if you're going to be good enough for him. And I remember these thoughts were, were like rushing through my head as I was pulling up to his house for our first date. I remember telling myself in the car, <laughs> in the car alone, oh my gosh, this is, I've never, I've never ever shared this story. But in the car, I just said to myself over and over, I was like, you are awesome. I am awesome. I am so awesome. He can't even handle your awesomeness. I am so awesome. And I, it sounds silly, but that's just the word I use. It's the truth. I, I'm not gonna say a different word because that's, the, that's really what I said. And I just said, I am so awesome. And I remember getting out of the car and like saying it underneath my breath, like with such like as much oomph as, as I could muster while still being quiet. And I see him coming out the front door and he's walking up to my car and I'm still saying, I am so awesome. And he's like, whoa, what was that? I'm like, nothing, hi, how are you? You know, and it was so silly, but 
I had to talk myself into this into the right mindset. And that's what's so beautiful is that empowering beliefs, they don't change the circumstance you're in. They change how you respond to your circumstance. The pep talk worked. Leah and Ricky bonded that night over a hibachi grill and a mutual love with sweet tea. They would get married, have a ton of kids, and buy a farm in Missouri where they currently reside. And though their life has turned out beautifully, that doesn't mean that the limiting beliefs haven't found moments and opportunities to return. So I had just come up on the speaking scene, but I'm, I'm invited to speak now at a pretty major Catholic conference. And I am definitely new to the scene. Like nobody knows who Leah Darrow is. Nobody knows my story. Um, I didn't go to Steubenville or any of the other Catholic colleges and, and I have zero connection to anybody in this industry whatsoever. I remember walking into this boardroom and that's where everybody was to prepare for the conference with all the other speakers. And I walk in and I say hello and nobody gets up out of their seat. They all look at me. They barely give me an acknowledgement or a hello. And it was very clear to me at this point that, okay, uh, I don't think, you know, it doesn't look like they want me to fit in, or at least it doesn't seem like I do at this, mo at this time. So I wasn't quite sure what to do because I'd never been in this situation before. You know, I thought, well, if you start working with Catholic people, everyone's going to be understanding and nice, right? But that doesn't always happen that way. What ended up happening is I sat in that boardroom. Everybody took their turn to speak, and it was a time for every person to talk and to share what they were going to talk about that evening, and they skipped over me. They didn't even include me, even though I was one of one of the main talks. This is my first time doing this, and I just thought, well, okay, okay. All right. Like one time I could maybe understand of like, Leah, maybe that's just you perceiving something that's not there. But that second time I'm like, okay. <laughs> so there's something there. And I got to tell you, like there is, that was definitely a time like when things are really hard, when people are cruel or mean or say hateful words to, about you or to you, you know, those are when really your limiting beliefs, they love to resurrect themselves. In that moment and in that time, like everybody left a boardroom and they were all going to um, the main location of where close by where the event was and to get the evening started. And I was left alone and I sat down in that boardroom and I had a little piece of paper and I had a pen, a pen, and I wrote down everything of who I am. And that was so incredibly helpful to me. It has been a defining moment in my life because I was like, they did not invite me here. God brought me here. I, I, I am worthy of the space that I hold in this universe. My message of mercy is worth hearing and sharing. By God's power and grace, I am here today and I will share what he has put upon my heart. I will live for the Lord and I will not be ashamed of it. My work is for the Lord. My work is for him alone. He has given me my mission and it's only my mission. And it is not my job to make other people understand my mission. We are always attacked with this feeling of we're not good enough. And so out of a very challenging situation at the very, very beginning of my speaking career, I learned a very, a very good lesson about how limiting beliefs can come back 
and also how empowering beliefs, when you, when you squash those and you start writing them out and saying them out loud of what they do. And I gave my talk that night to an absolutely standing ovation. After my keynote, every single person in those, in those stands stood up and they clapped and they clapped because somebody was bold enough to tell a story about Jesus. Knowledge of Christ's love just might be the most important weapon we have in battling our limiting beliefs. It offers us perspective, reassurance, and confidence in not just who we are, but who we're called to be. This was a lesson that Leah would learn, not just in that moment, but repeatedly and across many moments. So I had already begun some Catholic speaking and my schedule was starting to fill up a little bit. I would, you know, schedule these talks on the weekends. And so I had my normal nine to five job and I was working as a psychometrist in the area of neuropsychology. I would give a test to patients, paper and pencil test to find out what parts of their brain were working or not working based on the test itself and their own abilities or disabilities. So I, I'm a big nerd in this field and I loved it. This work, honest to God, Darnell, this is the type of work that I could easily go back and do. I love this work so much. And I was, I really felt like I was, I was really doing the Lord's will there. I really began to do a lot more reading and research about Mother Teresa. And as I would deal with my patients and work with them every day, I really began to take on as best as I could um, her mentality of that when she, Mother Teresa said that when she would work with people, she really looked at them as Jesus themselves. And so when she put them into bed, she was putting Jesus to bed. When she fed them, she was feeding Jesus. When she held the baby, she was holding Jesus. And this became so ingrained in her. This became such a mindset for Mother Teresa that it changed everything in her life. And so I began to take that on myself. And I re it really just made every day of my life working at that hospital and with those people and for these doctors, the best days of my life because everything was completely geared towards, I'm encountering Jesus literally everywhere I go. And it made it so much easier to serve people. So I say all that just to you understand that I love, loved this work. But while I was doing this work, I was speaking on the weekends. And at some point after I, I remember it was a talk that I gave in Boston and I had these amazing women who were really helping me calm down because I was very nervous because this flight had changed and it would barely get me in to the airport for me to get my car, fly like the wind into the office on Monday morning and make it. And I remember them, you know, telling me to, to continue to pray. They told me that beautiful prayer from St. Solanus Casey um, about, um, you know, thank God ahead of time. And I get on the plane and it gets into St. Louis and I get into my car and I am literally at my desk after this whole whirlwind of a morning of flying from Boston to St. Louis. And I'm sitting at my desk trying to act as calm as can be. And I am there two minutes before I'm supposed to be. So I'm technically there on time. And my first patient shows up literally three minutes after I sit down in my chair and I, there I go. And at my lunch break, there's a moment on this lunch break where I really had an experience with the Lord. And I was just thinking like, Lord, do you want me to do this other work full time? Like, is that what you want me to do? Or like, what should I do? And I remember like in my heart, I don't know how to explain it, but in my heart, I was having this conversation with Jesus and Jesus told me, he said, I will bless whatever work you do. He's like, I'm calling you into this new field 
and I'd like you to do that. But if you stay, I will bless you and all the people you work with. And it was just like this <laughs> beautiful moment where I just thought, our God is so generous. I remember just sitting there and just realizing, okay, this is very clear. It's very clear to me what God's saying to me. And I now I have to make a decision if I want to do this. And then I took that to prayer. I obviously ultimately decided to leave my job in neuropsychology and step out into this, you know, role of Catholic speaking, I guess. I wasn't even sure what it would do or how it would transform. But that was now over 14 years ago. And um, and it was, you know, it's the stepping out of the boat moment. It's the moment where, you know, keep in mind that the other apostles stayed in the boat and they were fine. And God still loved them and he was not upset at them. But when he calls you out of the boat, you know, it's uh it's a deep calling. It's one that you can't ignore. And um and when you step out of the boat and things don't go right, it doesn't mean that you should not have stepped out of the boat. It just means you need to reach out and keep your eyes and your focus on Christ. Uh, but too often we we think that because we try something new and it doesn't go well, or at least it doesn't go as well as we thought, that that we never should have done it. Um, and it's more the case that we just need to keep going. Christ's unconditional love gave Leah the confidence to step out the boat. So how has her life changed? Oh, gosh, how has my life changed? It's changed every single way, Darnell. I mean, everything has changed. Every choice we make carries with it an infinite weight. We change eternity in a sense with every little choice we make. And so, yeah, the, the choice to follow what God was putting upon my heart to do, one way in particular is that it really helped me cultivate the art of service. And I think that our greatest, our greatest calling is to answer the call of service in our life. We're all called to serve. We're called to serve other people. We're called to serve our Lord. And how we do that matters. And with the right mindset, it matters, you know? The right, uh, you know, keep getting your mind right, getting your heart right, getting everything. But our lives are lives of service. And so doing this work, I mean, yeah, it's definitely changed that, like how I serve and what I serve and giving me new ways to serve. And then just chipping away at all of my selfishness, all of my, all of, all of my problems, all of my vice because service is that highest good that's what we need to do it takes us out outside of ourselves you know and it begins to put the focus on how we can help other people and when we have more of a service orientated you know mindset then we're not worried about me 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 or we're not worried about our problems and you know what's so difficult with our life but we begin to find solutions maybe for other people and the ability to do that allows us to begin to see more solutions in our own life 
more opportunities in our own life to improve. So service is just beautiful and completely reciprocal in so many ways because we, we do so, so much good for other people, hopefully with, with the right heart and mindset going into it, but then it allows you the opportunity to, to see more of how, of how you can help your own self in your own life and be an active player. I want to circle back to the questions at the beginning of the story. Lee is in a place where having accepted Christ's unconditional love, having worked through the limiting beliefs that defined her for so long, she has designed a life that serves her, her family, and most importantly, Christ. And now she wants to help others do the same. Yeah, Power Made Perfect is definitely a huge, uh, if not culmination of the work that I've been doing for 14 years, it is a major highlight. It's like a, we are at a, we are at a major point here with what we have done with Power Made Perfect and the type of program that it is in human development um, that is the product of so many lessons in my life, not just personal experience and you know my education and higher education, but also all of, all of the things that have been given to me that I can pass on through it. It's human development. It's not therapy. It's not spiritual formation. It's just a Christ-centered approach on the human formation, personal development that's, again, so lacking today, but allows people to get into that place and really kind of move into that next level of their life. An extraordinary example of a true Capuchin and a replica of St. Francis. These are the words used to describe Blessed Solanus Casey by a Capuchin Minister General. Born in Oak Grove, Wisconsin on November 25th of 1870, Bernard Francis Casey, or Barney, was the sixth of 16 children to Irish immigrants. At the age of seven, he contracted diphtheria, a bacterial infection which permanently damaged his voice, leaving it wispy and slightly impaired, a minor impact considering two of his siblings had died of illness earlier that year. He attended school at St. Mary's in Hudson, Wisconsin, but his education was cut short when his family relocated to Burkhart. He would leave the farm at 17 and take on work as a lumberjack, a hospital orderly, a guard in a state prison, and a streetcar operator. It was in that job where he witnessed a brutal murder, a drunken sailor stabbing a woman to death and began to evaluate his life and his future. Recognizing a call to the priesthood, he enrolled at St. Francis High School Seminary, hoping to become a diocesan priest. The classes were tough and taught in German and Latin, two languages he did not know, and that, coupled with his limited schooling, led his superiors to advise him to join a religious order if he wanted to become a priest. So he took it to prayer, and while reflecting before a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary, he heard her call to him, saying, Go to Detroit. So he did. There, he joined the orders of Friars Minor Capuchin. He was given the religious name Solanus after St. Francis Solanus, a Spanish friar and missionary who served the indigenous populations of South America. They both shared a love of the violin. 
Father Solanus Casey struggled through his studies, but still made its ordination, though he was ordained as a simplex priest, a priest who could preside in mass but would not have the faculties for public preaching or hearing confession. He celebrated his first mass on July 31, 1904 with his family present. He served in New York, Yonkers, Manhattan, and Harlem before being transferred to St. Bonaventure's Convent in Detroit. There, he served as a receptionist and a doorkeeper. But each Wednesday, he conducted a well-attended service for the sick. He was a man of great compassion and spoke in a soft and quiet voice to all who came to him for help. Many considered him instrumental in their cures and other blessings and said that his serenity and counsel gave them peace. It was also there where he participated in the formation of the Capuchin Soup Kitchen, a ministry founded in 1929 to provide food to Detroit's poor in the Great Depression. The soup kitchen still operates today. Father Solanas had the heart of a servant, providing soup for the hungry, kind words for the troubled, and a healing touch for the ill. Within his lifetime, he was known as a wonder worker for his great faith and his abilities as a spiritual counselor, but especially for the love and attention he gave to the sick. At the end of his life, Solanus also suffered from sickness. He suffered from eczema, erysipelas, and skin deterioration, which the doctors deemed beyond treatment. He died at 11 a.m. on July 31, 1957, with only his nurse by his side. His last words, I give my soul to Jesus Christ. More than 20,000 people visited his coffin before his funeral and burial, and his work and his legacy can still be felt in Detroit today. After the confirmation that Father Solanus Casey had lived a life of heroic virtue, St. Pope John Paul II titled him Venerable in 1995, and then in November of 2017, Pope Francis had him beatified, and today, Blessed Solanus Casey is one step closer to sainthood. So let's end with some words from Father Solanus himself. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Blessed Solanus Casey, pray for us. If you've made it this far, thank you for sticking with us. This whole project is a labor of love, but we want to hear from you. What is your empowering belief? Let us know. Hit us up on social at Max Studios UST on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And hey, if this is something you enjoy, leave us a review. Also, share this with your friends, families, coworkers, classmates, the person who's on the verge of a change and is putting in the work. Let them know you got their back. And thank you to Dr. Richard Ludwig, Jeff Olson, Kyle Hyman at Spoke Street Media for editing support, and Bridget Richardson, our executive producer. And a special thanks to Leah for taking the time to talk to us. You can learn more about her and her Christocentric personal development program, Power Made Perfect, at leahdarrow.com. That's L-E-A-H-D-A-R-R-O-W dot C-O-M. You've been listening to Protagonist of Change, a podcast of Max Studios at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. I'm Darnell Miller, and until next time, peace.